Welcome to The Mothers, a podcast that centers the voices of women from across America whose children were killed by police. I'm independent journalist Georgia Fort. And I'm Nico Georgiadis of Unicorn Riot. This is the last episode of season one of The Mothers podcast, the 10th episode. During this episode, we're going to hear from one of the more central mothers in the movement, Kim Handy Jones. Her 29-year-old son, Cordell Handy, was killed by St. Paul police in 2017. Cordell was on the phone with Kim just moments before he was shot seven times. According to lawsuit documents, Cordell was having a mental health crisis and the location of Cordell's wounds indicate he was turned away from officers who alleged that he was pointing a gun at them. At them. Here's my son's case. Miko Norman and Nathaniel Yance, two St. Paul officers, shot my son at the same time and executed him. His case is I have a deceased child in my hand. That's the case. That's the whole case and that's the problem with all the cases that our children are being killed, gunned down. They're playing the judge, jury, and the executioner. They're not given a chance to go before a judge. They're not given a chance to have a, a jury hear them out. They're just executed. I was on the phone when my child was being executed. He had called me. And I could hear the gun bullets I could hear all of them just streaming and then finally it paused for about like maybe 30, 40 seconds and I could hear the last bullet when, when it pierced my child. So I knew that Miko Norman and Nathaniel Yance had killed my child because I was listening. I heard the whole thing. Now let's talk about who Cordell Handy was. Cordell was a 29-year-old man, no children. When they killed Cordell Handy, they killed a generation for me. They killed and took a piece, a big piece of my other kids' hearts, my family's hearts. When they killed Cordell Handy, they killed me. And when I got back up, I am not the same Kimberly Handy Jones. That shifted me into a whole nother world. My pain became my passion and I refused to wallow in my pity. So after the funeral, my aunt asked me, Kim, what are you gonna do? I said, I'm kicking off these heels and I'm getting ready to put my boots on the ground. That's how I derived with boots on the ground because I knew that I was gonna go on a crusade to help other mothers, to fight for other children because I don't want no one to have to suffer what I've suffered and I don't want their kids to have to be executed like my child was executed. 320 is at 7th and sitting right now, laying on the ground. 7th and what was the cross? 320, can you advise of the cross? 320, 10th shots fired! Copy it, shots fired. 320, can you advise of the cross for you, please? 3018, copy, send that to me. Information squad central and west tied off a of console on the air is clear. 389 on one and two, medics are in round. 389, cold for medics. 
Copying on two, code four for medics. It's called four for medics. Medics, medics. Copying on two, code four for medics. Go ahead for 320. Squad 320, can you advise if you have the suspect in custody? 320, the scene is code four right now. Slow everybody else coming. Copy, the scene is code four. Everyone else can slow it to 378. And 310 Tango, copy you on channel four that the suspect is in custody. 910 copy. 910, did you copy? Copy, thank you. 227. 228, we're out on 3. 301, can you get the ears? Copy, I'll squad 10210 for 301. 301, suspect in custody. Pistol's on scene here. Everything's good. Copy, 301, suspect is in custody and the pistol is on scene. You know, Kim brings up a really good point about due process. There's so many examples where police officers have been able to detain, de-escalate an armed person who's white. Mm -hmm. Dylan Roof, they, they, he killed so many people in nine. a church, nine people. Yeah. They give him some Burger King? They brought him to Burger King before bringing him to jail? Recently in Roseville, Minnesota, the same thing. A white man shooting at officers was able to be de detained and not armed in that detention. And this is a situation where we continually see. So why, in so many instances, Georgia, do police continually use fatal force when it comes to a black man? The only thing that I can think of is race and implicit bias. Because these officers are going into these situations uh, with a preconceived idea of who this individual is and what they're capable of. In Cordell's case, his girlfriend says that he was following commands that were given by police and that uh, the gun he had with him was not loaded. She communicated that to police officers. So again, asking this question, why couldn't they detain Cordell? Mm -hmm. In the same way that we've seen police officers detain so many white men. Mm. And again, we asked this question in previous episodes. Why does having a mental health crisis have to be a death sentence? Mm. A the continual issue. And it's the same question that Cordell's mother, Kim Handy, is, is asking us to think about as well. Take a listen. A child is suffering from a mental health breakdown and the police want to be the first responders. I happen to think a lot of times when they respond, it gets instigated more because that's the first thing a person thinks is having a mental health crisis. Oh, they're coming to get me. They're coming to get me. And they freak out even more. They don't need someone standing in front of them that already presents a threat to them. They need someone that can talk them down. Unfortunately, the police don't have what it takes. That's what you can train them on. Train them on that. Train them on how to be empathetic, sympathetic. How not to shoot to kill. But I don't think that's a class that they could ever ace. I don't think it's one they'll ever pass. Because a lot of them come out with the intentions of shooting to kill. Looking to kill a black, a brown, indigenous person. We're not the threats. They're the threat. And I choose never to ever call them. Never. I heard someone say, you know what, if I was on fire, 
Don't even, the police couldn't even throw me water. And that's pretty bad that people don't want the help because you know what that says to me? I'm gonna lose my life anyway. I might as well go on and burn. That's what it says. That speaks volumes to me. And that's about right. What's the chances of me burning up or me getting gunned down? Either way, I'm a dead man or woman. Either way. Because if the fire don't kill me, the bullet will. That's how I equated it to be. So I'm gonna just go through the fire. Just go through the fire. Cornell, don't get it! Shut it down! Cornell, don't get it! Shut it down! If Cornell don't get it! Shut it down! If Cornell don't get it! Shut it down! If Cornell don't get it! Shut it down! Now what do I think about them training the police again? I'm gonna tell you what I think about it. You don't have to train them not to kill white people. Why do we need to train them not to kill black people? We don't need to train them. We don't need to sink no more money into their training. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. What we need to do is weed their tails off the force. That's what we need to That's do. That's what we need to do. Because without it, more and more police brutality will happen. People fight on the street. There's no gun. There may be physical altercation between two people. But when the police arrive, somebody's dead, if not both. If not both. You're listening to episode 10 of The Mother's Podcast, presented by Unicorn Riot, featuring host Georgia Ford and myself, Nico Georgiadis. Music in this episode is by DJ Skiz, raps by MC Longshot, recording by Malcolm Wells, and post-production by Different Worlds Music Now, Nico, earlier you mentioned Kim Handy Jones is a central figure within the community of mothers who have a child killed by police. You've known Kim, and I call her now Mama Handy, mm. for many years. When did you first meet her? I first met her about a couple days after her son was killed. She held a vigil. She came up from Illinois and with some other family members and held a vigil outside the space where he was killed. And meeting her, you could tell her pain was so real, but yet she was powerful already. She was already speaking with a grace and out of that pain, that first time meeting her, it was really cold. Uh, I think even uh, King Demetrius Pendleton actually like introduced me to her. He, he had, he had might have met her right before that, and um, I came on the scene and oh, meet meet Kim, and I met her, and she was able to speak to us. Originally, she didn't want to speak. She's like, well, what, what kind of network are you from? You know that type of thing. So she knew automatically, I think, that some of the times this media. Some of the times media will portray the police story over the mother's story or over the victim's story. Um, but after Cordell was killed in March, there was a lot of small actions that happened. She would come up from Illinois to join in those actions. She then, a community started to form itself from that. We talked about Matilda Smith in one of the few episodes ago and how Kay Smith, uh, Jafford Smith's wife, uh, was around as well and some of that support in 2017 outside of a Cordell Handy protest where we talked to Kay and a lot of these a lot of these mothers started to galvanize with each other at that time and create 
what we now see as multiple different sort of organizations and foundations, but also this incredible support. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think we consider her, you and I, a central figure because many of the interviews that we have recorded have been at her mother's banquet. And so for our project, our podcast, our documentary, she's been central because she invited us in as probably the only members of the media to come in and not just share her story or share the story of the banquet that she was putting together for mothers from all across the country, but to also carve out some time to sit down with other mothers who were attending and share their stories. I want you guys to hear from her about this banquet, what it means to her and why she started it. Take a listen, take a listen. I felt the need to reach out because I've seen so many mothers silenced by the violence. And I knew that my pain had become purposeful, but I knew that I, 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 I had a passion to do something and that looked like God just gave me a vision. He gave me the vision to go out here and get mothers and surround yourself around mothers. And a lot of them, like we all, we hurt, but a lot of them have no voice. So we have to speak for the voices until they're able to utter something for themselves. And in doing so, we have to represent. That's why I always try to represent well, because I don't want to speak something that's not representable worthy of the mothers and we all have to represent each other we all have to lace up and put our boots on the ground and we should never watch a mother fall we should catch them before they fall because i wish someone would have caught me you know but how can you catch a fall when you got backdoor policemen gunning our children down you can it's inevitable it won't happen but if us as mothers getting together reaching out to other mothers who have lost kids, to police brutality, to mental health illness, to community violence, then we're teachable. And if someone don't know and they're listening to my, our story, then they're reachable. Because you may have a child somewhere while you're delivering your message that have lost their life to mental health illness and have taken their life. But it may be someone in the audience or at an event or a protest that you're speaking at that has these issues at home, they just don't know the signs. People need the information. And when you give the information, it causes people to wake up, but it causes them to stay woke. And it helps them if Junior's at home and these are the, the key things that a person is speaking, you get home and you realize, ah, this is it. Maybe you can stop the tragedy before it happens. You know, in this life, I've, I've realized that sometimes you gotta lose to win. I've lost, but I'm winning. And when I think about Cordell, I think about what it is he would want me to do. He would want me to keep pushing on he would want me to lace up and put my boots on the ground. He would want me to go out here and help other mothers who have lost children. And he would want me to educate other mothers so they don't have to so lose, a lose a child. I couldn't help but 
draw the connection to the work that Kimberly Handy Jones was doing in 2017 to the murder of George Floyd, right? Because think about this. After George Floyd was murdered, Minneapolis became the epicenter of a global movement. That's Mm -hmm. what they said, right? Mm -hmm. That this was ground zero for police accountability. But I would argue, based on the reporting that we've done, Minneapolis was the epicenter of a global movement before George Floyd's murder. Because Mama Handy, Kimberly Handy Jones, was summoning all of these mothers to the city years before George Floyd called out for his mother. I can't, it just, every time I articulate that, and I think it's hard for other people because these banquets that Kimberly Handy Jones was throwing for mothers weren't, it wasn't something that was largely covered by the media. People didn't even know it was happening. You have dozens of mothers whose children were killed by police all across the country coming here to have community, coming here years before George Floyd called out for his mama. And the woman who was at the center of that was Kimberly Handy Jones. Yet and still, most of this country doesn't even know her son's name. Cordell Handy. I think that looking at Kim and some of the legacy that she's already sort of created here, uh, and, and as you said, Minneapolis was sort of the epicenter already before that. And even going back, you had Jamar Clark, you had uh, Philando Castile, Twin Cities, you know, it wasn't Minneapolis. But even out of those, the support was from community uh, support groups like Communities United Against Police Brutality and other groups like that where the moms weren't providing this incredible support group. Then you had, even going back, even one year before that, you had Marcus Golden who was killed, who his aunt plays an integral role in this support groups, Monique Colors Doty. And looking at all the people she started to bring, as you said, from across the country, she continued to hold this banquet for multiple years and she continues to have it now. And so every year, even during the pandemic, they were figuring out ways to get moms together. And it's not only just a banquet, it's a weekend. And this weekend is intentional. They have groups together where they talk about the trauma that they're going through. They really get into some of their feelings. And as you said, Kim not only wanted to uh, allow us to take part in sharing the story of Cordell, but mostly wanted to allow us to take part in sharing the story of all the moms. Yeah. Like she continuously, even now, you go, I went there last year to the banquet. Go speak to this mom. Go speak to that mom. I want you to speak to this mom. I want you to speak to that mom. And she is literally the one who's like, these moms these all, moms have, a story. all have a story. They all need to be all told. Need to be told. This is for the mother, the mother, the mother. Yeah. 
the moms Whatever that you call it, yeah, this is for her scars This is for her tears, the snatched away years That they'll never get back, cause the system took her kids And this is for the grannies, the aunties, the sisters The women in our life who always made a hug and kiss you, yeah This is for Lisa, Kim and Hope and Tony and Matilda All the mothers saying no, we ain't giving up Fighting for the souls that are gone And if right is being quiet, they'll forever be wrong But only in the eyes of those that don't really care This for mothers everywhere, trying to make a change there In the heart of the black communities across the land This is for the mothers that will always take a stand Yeah, This is for the mothers, the mothers, the mothers This is for the mothers, the mothers the mothers, this is for the mothers, the mothers, the mothers, this is for the mothers, the mothers, the lovers, this is for the mothers, the mothers, the mothers, this is for the mothers, the mothers, the mothers, this is for the mothers, the mothers, the mothers, this is for the mothers, the mothers, the lovers. That was MC Longshot with the mothers, the mothers, the Another banger. Thanks, MC Longshot, for that. Another exclusive, exclusive, as each song in these episodes are exclusive. Are exclusive. In addition to the banquet that Kim holds annually that features families from across the country who have lost their children or family members to police violence, her foundation within the banquet also donates headstones to the families who can't afford them. Yeah, I mean, if you could imagine losing your child, how devastating that could be. But on top of that, if you weren't prepared, I mean, and who is prepared for that? Who thinks that they're going to have to bury their own child? Most people think that their children will bury them. And so she has done a lot of work. She does a lot of fundraising and uses that money to help families purchase a headstone. And each of these banquets, how many does she hand out? It's, it's like up to 10 now. Yeah. Where I think last year she gave maybe two, three handfuls. And during the banquet, it's literally a portion of the banquet for like maybe a half hour where she will call up names. I don't think some of the times these mothers, these family members, they don't know they're about to get called up right. and get and receive a headstone. It's very emotional. It is. And and watching their reaction and then watching how, you know, then they're able to go home that weekend after the weekend is done and actually purchase the headstone or the purchase the headstone's already purchased. Yeah. And they get to go home and, and make it happen. Having a place to remember your lost loved one it's very important when you lose a lost loved one. In this instance, in these instances where these moms, these family members, mothers specifically in these episodes are grieving the loss of their child, to not have a headstone, to not have an urn, to not have some kind of remembrance yeah. to go to has to be incredibly hard. And so Kim knows that. She's given to a lot of these family members that we've talked about. Uh, we, we brought up Monique. She, she gave to Monique a headstone. Uh, Matilda and Kay, we talked about them. And Jafford Smith, she got a headstone so many. for them. So many. And, and, and again, every single year, there's a, a several, like five to 12 people who receive headstones from Kim Handy's banquet. So just the importance of that as we've talked about the importance of having the the mothers come together for a weekend stay in the same hotel do activities together do programming together be intentional about how they're dealing with their trauma it's incredibly moving absolutely and 
You know, this is Kimberly Handy Jones's way of turning her pain into power. Take a listen at what inspired her to start giving away headstones. I spoke out and I knew then when I began to lift my voice and I began to speak, I knew then this is the platform. And I knew that when God appointed me, he anointed me and he would give me what I need to get the job done. And I've been boots on the ground ever since. And then I, I got a vision. I said, what more can I do? So I created the foundation, um, Cordell Q. Handy and Remembers of Me Foundation, which gives out headstones to families that cannot afford them. Because every mother and father at the end of the day needs closure. You know, you need to be able to go to that cemetery and know where your child lay. It's, it's hard to sleep at night when your child don't have what they need at a cemetery. It's, it's just grass and it, it, it gives you a sense of peace when there's a headstone. It gives you a sense of closure. It, it makes you feel like, okay, they're resting because you've completed what you need to do. And any parent would want to complete the task when it comes to their children. Comes to their children. From host Nico Georgiadis and Georgia Fort, we thank you for listening to episode 10 of the Mother's Podcast Series, produced and presented by Unicorn Riot. Unicorn Riot. You can find all of the episodes at unicornriot.ninja forward slash the mothers. And to find out more about my work as an independent journalist, head over to my website, georgiafort.com. And you can follow my work, Nico Georgiatis, at Mr. Nico G on social media and nicog.work. Audio recording and engineering by Malcolm Wells. You can find my work at stonywells.com and at stonywells on social media. S-T-O-N-Y-W-E-L-L-Z. What up? This is Longshot, and I provided the raps for the Mother's Podcast. You can support me and my work at mclongshot.com. Peace. My name is Tariq Thornton. I help edit and produce along with DJ Skiz for Different Worlds Music Group. Peace. My name is DJ Skiz. I made all the beats as well as did the mixing and editing of the Mother's Podcast. You can check me out on social media at DJ Skiz, D-J-S-K-I-Z-Z, or at DJSkizBeats.com. You could also follow Unicorn Riot across social media platforms and find our work at UnicornRiot.Ninja. Unicorn Ride is a 501c3 educational nonprofit media organization dedicated to engaging and amplifying the stories of social and environmental struggles from the ground up. Support our work at unicornriot.ninja slash donate. Part of the funding for this podcast is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.